Good evening. Today is Tuesday, May 23rd, 2023, and we are studying the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. This week's chapter is is the relationship chapters 8, 9, and 10, and our speaker tonight is Rick. Hey, thank you, Rick. Thank you. Thank you for having me. My name is Rick, and I am a compulsive overeater from Miami, Florida, and I'm so happy to be here with you tonight. I, um, you know, I have to tell you, in looking at, at the big picture of what this meeting is all about, it couldn't be more in my wheelhouse, and it couldn't more exemplify what what the greatness is of Overeaters Anonymous on a world level. Um, if you look at like the, the conversation coming into it was about inclusivity and unity with diversity, and I think that's something that Overeaters Anonymous does better than pretty much the rest of the world. The rest of the world. I was lucky enough um, a couple months ago to go to the World Service Business Conference in Albuquerque, and this year's theme and, and, and the concentration of the entire year for World Service this year is unity with diversity and is the expansion of the inclusivity of our membership and making sure that everybody feels at home um, and making sure that nobody uh, does not feel at home, although it, it's pretty much impossible to do it, that anybody, we don't want anybody to be underserved. And um, and I was really lucky enough to get um, on one the uh, World Service uh, Unity with, I'm a co-chair of the World World Service Unity with Diversity um, specific focus uh, subcommittee, you know? So, it, so it's it's something that's near and dear to my heart. And the other thing that I love so much about this meeting is the whole idea of choose your conception of God. You know, um, the fact that I'm sitting here, to, I, I, by the way, I've been, I don't have the exact date, but it's about 23 years now that I've been coming to Overeaters Anonymous. And in truth, I'm, I'm in a couple other fellowships and I started those fellowships first, not because uh, I wasn't a compulsive overeater at that time, but because society was more freely willing to accept um, alcoholism and drug addiction to provide a defense that I needed, you know? And so I, so even though I was an end-stage compulsive overeater, I didn't get here for a couple of years after I came in, but I came in. And here's the great news. I came here and I didn't believe in God. I came here and I didn't think I was a compulsive overeater, and I didn't think I was an alcoholic, and I didn't think I was an addict. Somehow, through the magic of this program, I was able to stick around long enough to figure out that I am a compulsive overeater. And somehow, through the grace of this program, I was able to develop uh, a beautiful relationship with the God of my understanding. You know, And what is that God of my understanding? That's none of your business. <laughs> and this is the truth, because we're joined here tonight because we have a, a common disease, and that's what it is. It's a disease that wants to kill us, so we're joined in that regard. And then this big book tells us that what we have is a spiritual malady and a solution, which is spiritual in nature, uh, and we are joined in that regard. But in terms of each of us having, if, if you tell me what, what the God of your understanding is, and it's different than mine, 
then maybe I feel like you're telling me that yours is better or I'm saying mine is better. That's what separates us. That's what separates us. So what keeps us together is, is what I choose to talk about. Now, getting to these, these if, if you were to say to me, Rick, I want you to take the big book and choose whatever you want to talk about anywhere. These really wouldn't have been my first three choices. You know, they really wouldn't have been. Um, I love them. I love them. But they have a few things that, that um, and I'm going to talk about it just a little bit. And you guys know this, I'm sure. So, for instance, two wives. You know, two wives. It, it portends to be written by a woman. It's not. It was written by Bill Wilson. So this point of view of a woman is written by a man. <laughs> I'm sorry, but that's, you know, that's, oh my God. He does, it's a beautiful job. He says some stuff in there that's really obvious when you look at it. And, and Lois Wilson and Bill Wilson had some really major fights about this. They really did, you know. Um, but but the, the ideals are really wonderful. And, and, and so I'm not, I'm not going to talk about that one so much. Um, and I don't really have a great idea. I, I have some idea what I'm going to talk about tonight, but we'll free flow a little bit because the truth of the matter is that I work today and my work, I, I'm lucky enough to work in an addiction treatment center and it's really hard, grueling work. And a lot of it is outside in a courtyard uh, and it's South Florida and it's gotten really hot. So I worked and I got home about four o'clock Eastern standard and I just fell asleep for a couple hours. And I woke up and I've been like kind of looking at this. So anyway, um, here's, but here's what's cool. And here's what helped me with tonight. So I do groups in this addiction treatment center. And then it's, it's by the way, compulsive overeating, addiction, narcotics, alcohol, mental health. You know, it's all the same stuff. It's all the same stuff. It really is. Underneath it all, it's all about spirituality and spiritual malady um so i so i do these groups and the groups are they, they can be all different kinds of uh, people with all kinds of different addictions but it's mainly people who are detoxing so they're in the worst time of their life you know the worst time of their life and also people who are early in mental health crises and they're in the tough time of their life it's the first 28 days kind of you know kind of a deal so I have all these people in there, and usually I kind of have to stick to one, two, and three because they're only there for 28 days, and you can't really work all 12 steps, you know? But the truth of the matter is that what I want to do, if I can, is to instill a sense of hope in them um, so that they'll want to carry forward, so that they will want to engage in the 12 steps. Because, I mean, you know, after all, they're they're in a treatment center that can go up to, like, it's the first of the treatment centers in this program. Um, but, but so I need to get them engaged if I can in 12 steps, something for after they leave the treatment center, you know? And, but today I walked in and I remembered that I was gonna be speaking here tonight. And usually I, I, I engage on the level of listen. In the doctor's opinion in the big book, he talks about us being restless, irritable and discontented. That's where we start. That's who we are. And if we don't deal with that, then we're going to, you know, the restless, irritable, and discontented unless they can enjoy that sense of ease and comfort, which comes out once with taking a few, whatever, cheesecake, pizza, it doesn't make a difference. My God, you know, 
right? That's the, that's the bad news about it. I consider that the left end of the continuum. The continuum starts for us with pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization, with our being restless, irritable, and discontented, with our knowing about anxiety, with our being filled with fear, with anger and hatred. But then if we do the work, and by the way, the, these, these chapters are kind of after we've done the work, aren't they, right? We finish the 12 steps before we get to these chapters in here. So these chapters are kind of what can, what's capable, what's possible. And that's one of the things that I try to bring to them at the treatment center. And what did I bring to them today? The family afterwards. What else do you bring to them? The family afterwards. Why the family afterwards? Because it's got a couple of things in there that I think are just absolutely amazing. So we start out being restless, irritable, and discontented. But if we do this work, then on page 133, it says, God absolutely, is it God absolutely mandates or God absolutely, I've got it. God absolutely, God, we're sure that God wants us to be what? Happy, joyous, and free. That's the family afterwards. That's what God wants for us. You know, choose your own conception of God. I don't care if it's the universe or Jesus. I don't, it doesn't make a difference if it's Buddha, if it's quantum mechanics, whatever it is, it wants for us. He wants for us. She wants for us to be happy, joyous, and free. I'm certain of that. I'm absolutely certain of that. You know, if I do the work, I have that option. I can remember um, I was about nine months into the program and I was still incredibly angry, you know. And I said, I know I've got a sobriety date. When do I get a serenity date? You know, when am I going to know serenity? And I was just really angry because I was having one of those academic variety type spiritual awakenings. It wasn't happening for me fast enough. And then it was a couple months later. And I remember I walked into a room and I said, you know, I'm not there yet, but I feel like I am hap, ju, and fur, you know? I had that taste of being happy, joyous, and free. I wasn't all the way there, but I was happy, joyous, and free. I was on the way. I was on the way. And that's what I am today. And then I had this great friend. His name was English Jeff, and he's still my great friend, uh, except that he actually left America and went back to England. So over here, by the way, he was English Jeff. But after being in the United States for 30 years and going back to England, when he goes to meetings there, they call him American Jeff. <laughs> not funny to you but it kills me um but you know as the english jeff always would say to me and to everybody well there it is on page 132 16 lines from the top 16 lines up from the bottom four words in from the left four words in from the right we absolutely insist on enjoying life I needed to hear that. We absolutely insist on enjoying life. And right below that, it talks about if life was going to be a veil of tears, what would be the point of it? Why would I want to just stay white knuckling abstinent? I wouldn't want to do that. If, I, if that's what my life was going to be, then I would really just prefer to flame it out. I'm not kidding. I really would. I wouldn't be satisfied. If I was going to be unhappy my whole life why would i want this why would i want this just to stay alive you know to be miserable 
<laughs> I want to be happy, joyous, and free. I, I absolutely insist on enjoying life these days. And it's not to say that I'm happy, joyous, and free all the time. I'm not. I'm not. I am pretty much most of the time. The interesting thing is that he says these alcoholics are restless, irritable, and discontented on that page in the doctor's opinion. He doesn't say, you notice, that these alcoholics used to be, used to be, you know. And for me, that restless irritable, uh, so I didn't come in until I was 46 years old. Um, and when I came in, I was restless irritable and discontented. I was angry. My friends used to call me the face before I came into the program. The reason they called me the face was that if we went out, to a bar, or if we went out to have dinner, or if we went anywhere and somebody didn't do what we wanted them to do, or they gave us a hard time, or some guy wanted to start something in a bar, then they would go, Rick, give them the face. And my job was just to make eye contact with people, not to go like, ah, you know what I mean? But I was so angry of a human being that I just needed to make eye contact with people and they would think this guy's going to start trouble. He's going to start a fight. We're going to have a table for you right now. Just give us a minute. <laughs> you know, guess what? It worked back then. You know what happens today? I go in and they go, we'll have a table for you in 30 minutes. Okay, is the table ready yet? Please, sir, sit down. <laughs> now I get no respect because I'm not angry. <laughs> but people recognize that. You know, people do recognize that. So we have this opportunity. And that's just what it is. It's this wonderful opportunity. And by the way, the concept of, of, you know, of the relationship chapters, when you think about it, the thing that we just started talking about in the beginning of this, the, the concept of inclusivity and unity with diversity, that's the big relationship chapters. The relationship chapters are about the family. They are about the employer. They are, and, and, and to employers, the first part of that was written by uh, Hank Parkhurst. And um, it might be that were it not for that, that uh, and the rest, the first part of the introduction is written by Hank Parkhurst, uh, who was an alcoholic, one of the early guys. Um, and he was a, a, um, a standard oil executive. And in fact, his job was hiring and firing people. And by the way, he didn't stay sober. But he was the guy who was the business end of it, who said to Bill Wilson, who put together uh, the publishing company that caused this big book to get published. So he was like the guy behind it, and he even put some money behind it. Um, so if it hadn't been for Hank Parkhurst, the guy who wrote Two Employers, we might not be sitting here tonight. How about that? You know, there are no coincidences. There, there, there's this amazing miracle of things that had to happen for the for Bill Wilson and Dr. Bob to be able to get together across, you know, across, well, Ebby Thatcher across the kitchen table and the things, the string of things that had to happen for us to be here tonight, it's just phenomenal. So it, even though I was a guy who was an atheist, when I think about this, I, ha I have to say to myself, something's gotta be like divinely inspired. The, this writing by, the guy was a stockbroker. He was a stockbroker with three years of being, ap of being uh, sober. And he wrote this book. And we all know how wonderful this book is. It's never, you know, this book is never really, I always say this book has never lied to me, but tonight we found out that there have been a few little white lies, right? Because it did lie to us tonight. Yes, five minutes? 
Five? Yeah. Wow. Oh, that's best. Okay. So you know something? I, I've got to tell you this. I love Overeaters Anonymous. I love it so much. Um, so I, I just want to like, I wouldn't be here tonight if it wasn't for Overeaters Anonymous. I'd be dead. I mean, I need to say this. This is so important. I, I didn't just, it didn't just save my life. There was a, I, I used to practice law. And in the law, there, was the, there are these burdens of proof. We all know them. The first burden of proof is the civil burden of proof, more likely than not, or preponderance of the evidence, right? And then the criminal burden of proof, beyond a reasonable doubt, an abiding conviction to a moral certainty. Well, I have an abiding conviction to a moral certainty that I would not be alive today but for the program of the 12 steps. And I can tell you right now, the most wonderful thing for me is for those of you who are in multiple fellowships, I started out being an AA guy and I would go into OA meetings and I would say, hi, my name is Rick and I'm an ah, I'm a compulsive overeater, right? And that's where I was. But then all of a sudden, there came a time where I said, my name, I was in an AA meeting and I said, my name is Rick and I'm a compulsive over because this is my primary addiction today, because this is the addiction that is most likely to kill me. If I walk down the center aisle in the supermarket where they have all the booze, I don't even see it. But if I walk down that, some people have easy, easy abstinence, but I don't, I have to tell you, it's work for me. If I walk down the last aisle, where they have those sugary frozen substances and buy one, get one free kind of stuff. I have a hard time. I have a hard time. Sometimes I won't even go down those aisles unless I have an absolutely good reason to be there and I'm feeling spiritually fit. And at those times, I so today, it's easy for me on the other programs. It's not easy for me. This is the one that's most likely to get me. This is the one that, that caused me to become a diabetic type 2 diabetic. So I have to be very careful about what I eat. I have to be very careful about my weight. I have to be very careful about those things. And I was never successful in any of them until I became spiritually fit as, as a result of working the program. And then, then was able to do better with my abstinence and to develop a food program. And by the way, I've had some really big disagreements with uh, Harlan. If you, I, A lot of you know, probably know Harlan. So I've said that does abstinence come before spirituality? Spirituality come before abstinence? I always say that it's kind of a circuit. Well, the circle going broken, one depends on the other. But he says you must be physically abstinent in order to become spiritually fit. And he can tell us that, you know. So anyway, I'm coming to the end. But I, I just want to say that we're this huge family. We're this wonderful family. The last thing, I'm going to tell you a little story. This is so beautiful. I got to tell you. I'm at the World Service Business Conference. There are 250 people in a room, and we start every day's proceedings with a serenity prayer. But because it's the World Service Business Conference, every day they start with people from different countries saying the serenity prayer in their native tongue. And the first day, with 250 people sitting there, up to the pro platform where the mic, you know, the pro and con, walked up to the pro platform, turned on the mic, two women. One of them from Russia, one from Ukraine, holding hands, doing the serenity prayer in their native languages. We can change the world. 
we can change the world. We can do it here. They can't do it out there. They can't do it as well as we can. We can be so proud that we're not only doing something that saves our lives, but we're all doing something together that saves this planet. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Rick. Okay, we will now open the meeting for questions or for three minute shares. Uh, this is a big book study sharing questions to relate specifically to the chapter and step being studied this week. We ask you to accept this guideline in order to keep the meeting on track. If you'd like to share or ask a question, please raise your virtual hand, which is under reactions or star nine if you're on the phone and the Zoom host will, the Zoom host will call raised hands in order and we ask you to unmute when it's your turn. Timekeeper, please set a timer for three minutes for each share and announce when time is up. If the speaker is asked a question, please allow three minutes for the answer. Okay. Carla, am I calling on the names or? If you'd like to, Sharon, that'd be great. Okay, no problem. Let's see. Uh, the first hand I see is Chanel. Hi, thank you. I'm Chanel and I am a grateful compulsive eater. Rick, thank you. I haven't heard you share at a meeting before and it was so great to hear you share tonight. Thank you. And also thank you for your service at World Service and that very touching story about the Ukrainian and Russian women. That's really powerful. That's powerful. And that is unity in this program unity with diversity. So I really appreciate that. My question for you is regarding these chapters because I neglect these chapters with my sponsees mm -hmm. and um, admittedly. And I'm just wondering, A, if you take two questions, I guess, A, if you take your sponsees through these at all and B, what you would say, I recently heard this in a meeting. We were reading it out of the, one of these chapters and the per person who is a brand new newcomer said, shared and said, I can't relate to this at all. It was written too long ago. I can't relate to it. I feel this way about the whole big book, but especially this. And I'm just staying here because I feel like I have to, but I didn't even want to hear any of this today. And I, I was thinking, you know, I remember feeling that way. And like, what kind of response you have to someone with that? Thank you. Sure. So when I work with sponsees, I work all the way through the big book. Some people are like, you know, there are people who do it really well in 30 days. That's great. I'm not one of them. When, when I work the steps, and, it's, and I just do it the way it was done with me, typically I take more than a little more than a year so that we actually get to go through the steps in great detail. Uh, but the other, th and then in response to the second part, um, you know, certainly it's an anachronism, you know, it's, 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 a, it's chauvinistic, it's written in the wrong time, you know, but the fact is, Everybody, I mean, Time Magazine, remember back, said that it was the most important, pub, one of the three most important publications of the 20th century, right? That it's really world changing. And everybody I know, when they read it, one of the things I always say is, this book has never lied to me. This book has the answers to every question that I've ever had, you know? Times may change, but the fact is that the illness doesn't change. That's why he makes reference, you know, in, in Bill's story, 
the, the doggerel on the tomb in uh, Winchester Cathedral. You know, it's perfectly apropos, but it, yet it's written it's how far back, you know? Um, it's, it, time doesn't change. And, and I did the same thing. You know, I said, stockbroker, Great Depression, whoopee parties, bathtub gin. What's this got to do with me? You know, but then the next time I read it, I, I you know, and, and what I say is, and I ask people, do you identify with? And, and somebody says, I don't identify with it. I say, well, okay, just stick with it. Just stick with it. Fake it till you make it. Just do these things. Do you believe that I believe? That, you know, just go with it. And everybody I know, not everybody I know, but all the people who, who it seems to work for are the people who eventually say, oh my God, I identify with what, what's being said there. Right? And, and isn't it magic? Isn't it magic how the first time I read the big book and I underscored in yellow, the second time I read it, I underscored in green and it was the same paragraph with a different sentence. The third time I read it, I said, I left out the most important one. It's the middle, you know? So I just tell people, just take it easy. Just go with it. Offer yourself up, you know? Just I, the great thing that worked for me was that I finally said, oh my God, my way didn't work. Tell me what to do. And that's what I look for. Hope that answers it. Thank you, Rick. That was a, a good answer. I, I liked it. I agreed with it very much. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Next, we have Victoria. Hey, everybody. I'm Victoria, recovered compulsive overeater in Florida. I'm glad to be here. And yeah, it's pretty funny. So I'll just say, like, doing doing some of the service positions for booking speakers for this meeting, it's always interesting. Like, when you get past like step 12, like when you get past working with others, people are like, what is that? Are you sure you want somebody to speak about that? So I, I always appreciate people who are willing to give it a go. Um, and, and you did a great job. My, I, my question is one of my favorite parts of the family afterwards is when it talks about um, my interpretation, uh, not a direct quote, but going too hard program 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 all the time and leaving everything else out of out of life and I was just wondering if you have any experience with that in your recovery that you could share with us lots of it in Bill's story he talks about Ebby Thatcher coming to visit him and he says um what is it he used to be it's that he used to be all cracked up when, or now he's a crackpot about, he, he used to, it's, he's a crackpot about Jesus now, but something like that. You know what I mean? It's like the guy was like, now he's just totally, he's way overboard on, on this religious stuff. And, and we have that, you know, I, I find people who can get that way, you know, who people, so it, it tells us that love and tolerance is our code, you know? And I always tell people, listen, when you go home, uh, you know, we, we sit in the rooms with each other and we love each other and we're compassionate with each other and we're understanding of each other. And then we go home and we go back to our families and our children and say, shut up. <laughs> What's wrong with you? <laughs> so I tell people to try to, you know, it's, it's all about the love. I mean, I hate to say it, but like for me, it's, it's Bill Wilson. In, he wrote that article, um, The Final Frontier, Emotional Sobriety. And, and emotional sobriety was all about unconditional love. And just so people can get really overboard, you know, 
And, and, and what can happen with that is that can be a little bit like sublimation, you know? People are just trying to blot out how unhappy they are. So they dive into something so hard that they can't see the forest from the trees. The bad news is that that's tough on the people around them. The good news is that sometimes it keeps them abstinent, you know? So I, so I always try to talk to the people around them to say, hey, listen, this, you know, like it says in the fourth step resentment prayer, that for, for the people who offended us, this is a sick person. You know, how can I help them? God save me from being angry. And, but I always tried to tell people, I mean, all those old things, wear your, wear your abstinence like a loose garment, you know, don't get too overboard, don't get too crazy. And also it's about trying to get some balance in life, which I never had. I was always great at work and then I sucked at everything else. And then I would work out like a banshee and then I would mess up at work. So it's all about, for me, trying to teach people to develop a sense of equanimity and, and balance. And I think that's the long picture, is, is trying to, being able to balance the things in our lives and to do it with love, you know, but to realize that, oh, you know, um, the, when they first studied, was it Dr. Tebow, whoever it was who, who first studied uh, alcoholics, and they said the big features of alcoholics were A, that they were immature, and B, that they, they couldn't handle delay of gratification, you know. I'm willing to do the work, but I want it now. I want it now. You know, I want it right now. So we don't do well with that. So, so one of the great things that, that for me to help other people with, and which was so hard for me because I, I was like easier on other people and hard on myself. So I would drive and push and push. Um, time, Rick. Time. Thank you. Thank you, Rick. Hey, we have plenty of time for shares. Um, yeah. Please go ahead and uh, raise your hand if you'd like to share. We can also stop the recording a little bit earlier for unrecorded shares, if um, if that's of interest. Go ahead, Carla, unmute and share with us. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, everyone. I'm Carla from the Bay Area of California. Rick, thank you so much. Um, I wrote down several things that you said. Um, and I just wanted to share um, tonight about, I'm not sure how many of you have read uh, Beyond Our Wildest Dreams. I had never heard of it. I am a short timer, so um, I've only been here four years. But just recently, I read that book and I was blown away, just like I am when I look at the big book and imagine how many years ago that was written and what all had to happen for that to ever get in my hands four years ago. I was already 65 years old. I had lived a lifetime for most people before I ever found a solution to my life. Um, but in that Beyond Our Wildest Dreams, when you look at what OA started as, it started as a diet club. <laughs> and look where we are today. You know, there was this long process of ever getting to uh, referring to the 12 steps like, like AA did. <laughs> Roseanne had her own great ideas. You know, I had so many great ideas. It got me here at 265 pounds and killing myself. You know, um, I, I think it's so fascinating um, that I could take care of every other area of my life. And I kept this addiction in this dark place that I did by myself. <laughs> 
as if nobody could tell by looking at me that I ate a lot. <laughs> it was the great, the great denial. You know, nobody knows. Really? Okay. Um, so it, this this process, you know, I, and I hear I hear people talk about how they struggle with the with the riding and the tents and things like that. Um, and when I got here, I was in such a panic um, that as soon as I saw the word alcohol, well, in the first place, I didn't know anything about 12 steps or the big book or the OA literature. I didn't even know what OA was when I got here. So everybody was speaking a foreign language. But when I found my sponsor and she said, I sponsor through the big book and I was going, what's the big book? So I had to go to Alcoholics Anonymous and get one. And I already had every bit of OA literature on the market. Um, but all the meetings I went to were OA literature meetings. So I really got both of them. But but as I looked at that and I saw the word alcohol, I knew good and well they were talking about my alcoholic foods. And I, as I saw what they talked about, they did. I did the very same thing. So there was never a, a break in that. Also, I'm older. I get it. Um, somebody, you know, in their 20s maybe looks at me and goes, what's that lady talking about? She's not even on the same plane. Besides the fact that I talk Texan and not English. So most people don't understand what I'm talking about anyway. But um, as we get here with our own attitudes, opinions, and beliefs, and as I learned the set-aside prayer where I could ask a power greater than me to set those down so that I could have a different thought, and I began to think differently than I'd ever thought before. I began to hear things and suggestions of what was helpful to other people. I was empowered by my sponsor to find what worked for me. She didn't give me rules and regulations and directions to follow. She laid out what had happened to her, and she allowed me to find what would work for me. That's what I try to do with my sponsees. And working with a lot of newcomers in the first 12 days, it's amazing how I hear those same attitudes I had when I crawled in here that eventually changed and allow them to change when their higher power gets ready to do that. And the last thing I just want to share real quick is that when you were talking about world service, um, I was asked and I spoke on a meeting in Iran with an interpreter and I shared at that meeting from the pamphlet, where do I start on welcome home? And the people, I was crying. The people in the room were crying. It was the most powerful time. And none of us, I had to have an interpreter. I didn't know what they were saying to me. I had to be told what they were saying. They didn't know what I was saying. They had to be told what I was saying. And yet around the world, compulsive overeaters are compulsive overeaters. And we can identify with someone else and welcome home to everybody. And if you're a newcomer and you don't understand what I'm saying either, it's okay. Just hang on, <laughs> keep coming back. And eventually when you hear me say sponsor, you're going to know by experience what that means and the 12 steps and just what Rick was talking about. A life joyous, a life free from the hopelessness I crawled in here with. We have the cure for cancer. It's cancer of the soul. And we, when we share it, for fun and for free. Thank you all so much for letting me share. And thanks everyone for being here. I'm just going to jump in real quick. Here's world service story number two. There was a workshop on the, on the concepts, warranties and concepts. And there were two speakers. And one of the speakers was from Israel. And the first two people to get up to the microphone to share after her were from Iran. <laughs> really? We can do it. I'm telling you, we can do it. Thank you.
Thank you for the shares. Um, okay, so uh, Carla, we 